Hey guys, Coach here. Welcome to the show. How are you? I hope everything's going well out there. I'm talking to you from uh, the great state of Maine in the United States, where rain is falling and creeks are running and lakes are full. It brought to mind a topic this, this week for me. It's kind of near and dear to my heart, but I thought it would be very useful for many of you out there especially if you are west of the Mississippi. But we are gonna talk about landscaping to protect uh, not only your home and yourself, but landscaping to protect your neighborhood. Landscaping to prevent wildfire intrusion. I think it's a very timely topic. And believe it or not, there is a lot of people that I have come across, especially in the east, that really don't have a clue about wildland fire prevention and stuff because they just have never had to really use it. They've never had to think about it. Everything back there is green and lush and wet and in some cases almost tropical and they don't have to worry about wildfire very, very much. You know, maybe a little bit here and there, but uh, nothing, nothing compared to out west and places like in Australia and other dry parts of the world that are really suffering from extended droughts and high temperatures and high winds. So that's what we're talking about, landscaping for fire prevention this week, and I am glad you are here. Let's get this thing off and rolling, shall we? Yeah, I'm Matt, and you can call me coach. You know, every week I try to bring you landscape DIY education, design concepts and theories, and hopefully an easy to understand format so you can go out there and do things yourselves and save a whole lot of money and be a lot more self-reliant in this day and age. Boy, you know, after a 20 plus year career, I really think I bring a lot of knowledge and experience uh, to the table. And I really wanna share that landscape knowledge and experience with you, the new modern, educated, self-reliant homeowner of today. So to start this one out, we're gonna start it out on a uh, reflective, albeit somber note, because I really dedicate this little episode to all those families who have suffered unimaginable loss as a result of wildfire ever, uh, whenever it was, to most recently, the last decade, you know, those Oregon and, and California and Arizona and Colorado fires that are just unprecedentedly large and out of control. Respect to their respect to their properties and their neighborhoods, their, their daily living, and most importantly, uh, human and animal loss. You know, I want to I don't want to put this episode together for you. Now, with that said, first and foremost, I go on record and tell you that I'm not an expert on firefighting. It's not why I'm making this. I have never been a, a smoke jumper, never been a hot shot. I've never, never or have ever been employed or trained in any wildland firefighting effort. I did have a grass fire behind my house once and I extinguished it all by myself with my garden hose. And that's about the extent and level of my firefighting experience. However, I do know quite a bit about landscape design and how plant selection, layout, hardscape efforts can assist in fire protection. I've got over 20 years of designing landscapes in the foothills, the dry foothills of Northern California, and oftentimes with wildfire considerations in mind. So I do bring that to the table. Couple that with having traveled extensively throughout our country, I am well aware of the locations that are not 
in high wildfire threat areas and those that are you know places like where i'm at right now in maine places that see rain rather regularly throughout the warmer months regularly two and three times a week you know they get a half inch of rain the wildfire threat is not really high there it is possible but not probable compare that to the west you know where there are places that are struggling for water just to come out of the tap in some places a much different contrast in the way water is looked at landscape is looked at and wildfire prevention is looked at you know for the most part wildfire threats are mostly at least in our minds anyway reserved for more rural areas but if you look back in time that was horribly horribly and disastrously contradicted in uh, the Oakland Hills fire in October 19 through 23 of 1991. Damn, that was suburbia set ablaze in a situation where a combination of things, a, a grass fire that wasn't totally extinguished correctly and dense housing, dense apartment housing in kind of a suburban area, steep hills, very strong winds and older structures coupled with old mature landscapes and older mature uncontrolled over vegetated hillsides were involved and oh my god you know uh, over 20 lives were lost over 2800 houses and 430 some odd apartments were destroyed inside 48 hours of that place and that was not a forest fire that was in the oakland berkeley hills which is considered not really rural it's neighborhood it's older bigger neighborhood but it's it's neighborhood basically to sum it up an in-town wildfire that's what it was and it was a firestorm uh, i can remember watching it on the news and then also uh, participating in a different capacity after some of the things were put out and neighborhoods were being put back together I participated in a different capacity keeping things safe but those large trees and large very mature domestic landscapes and that intermittent unchecked natural vegetation all contributed to the fast spread which initially seriously overwhelmed all the first responders i mean they just could not get a handle on that thing and those scenarios pop up once in a while in other areas of the west and elsewhere you know people are and have been for eons right people are drawn to the natural surroundings that set the scene for living in nature you know out in the out in the country where privacy and peaceful living and wildlife really you know living that dream life out there in the hills but we have all seen the backlash to these beautiful dream living locations haven't we so what can we do to prepare what can we do for planning against that uneventful wildfire situation how do we keep it at bay how do we become that one house on the block that seems to have survived for some reason and we've all seen them in wildfire situations in tornado situations there's that one house well i'd like to help in some way make your house that house but it depends on a few things it depends on your location your terrain your environment you know whether you're forest or desert or you know wherever you happen to be your usda horticultural zone even comes into play based on what kind of plants you can actually use what kind of 
buffer can we actually create? What kind of natural plants exist that you're going to have to address? And, you know, what thought you put into your home, how it was built, how you've landscaped it, what kind of an evacuation plan you have in place, which I think every family should have, whether it be wildfire or anything else. Let's take a minute and let's look at some approaches that we can initiate in order to mitigate any sort of disasters. You know, we can't prevent them 100%, but we can certainly mitigate them. From my landscape contractor perspective, the very first thing I look at is your water sources. Your water source, whether it be municipal or if you're out there in the rurals, you're on a well. One of the very first things that goes down, and I know you guys are going to think of it before I'm going to say it, one of the very first things to go down was probably the electrical grid in that neighborhood or in that part of the county when uh, a disaster like a wildfire starts to get in there. So what kind of backup power source do you have so you can continue to run your well, so you can continue to moisten and keep at bay should something happen, a wildfire coming your way? Now, let, let me make one thing perfectly clear. A garden hose is not going to stop a firestorm. In those particular cases, guys, it's all hands on deck. Everything goes in the trunk of the car and you get the Sam hell out. You don't sit there and try to fight a forest firestorm with a garden hose. That just doesn't happen. What we're doing is we're we're approaching it from, can we soak our place down? Have we planned it out enough that we can soak it down get in our vehicle and get out and pray and hope that we have done everything from the planning to the maintenance, to the layout, to the care, everything to mitigate, hopefully a, a fire from overrunning our property. That's where I'm doing, but I'm not here to tell you to stand your ground and, and hold yourself against a firestorm that is coming at you with 25 mile an hour winds. No, 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 not at all, get out. But this water source that you do have, will this water supply be enough to ward off, say, a, a grass fire? You know, something that's under 24 inches tall, but it's got a, a rapid rate of spread and it's streaming out the hill up your, your, your back of your property and it's heading towards your back area. Can you ward something like that off safely? You know, yeah, you got the, the big red hero haulers coming your way to help you, obviously, but there is no defense except you until they get here. So what can you do? You know, in one of the, the last landscapes that I ever designed and installed, it was a big one. It was several hundred thousand dollars worth of landscape. One of the biggest things that went into the design concept was fire mitigation. And so I designed small dams for water capture with pumps in the, the reservoir where that behind the dam that lifted water up into huge, huge capture tanks and then uh, designed a whole fire suppression system with off-grid water pumps and underground uh, supply lines and then metal risers and metal sprinklers and in the end, we had covered the whole back of the property, which was sloped downhill, and that would have definitely suffered catastrophic results had we not put something like that in there. And this thing ran 42, 42 sprinklers spaced about 20 feet apart, and they were attached to over 15,000 gallons of stored water capacity. And all they had to do was pull a cord, start the pump, and they could leave. And if the fire was coming from the direction that it was always predicted it would come from, they would have a little over an hour and a half 
of water supply to be put on this hillside and then they would just hope for the best. They evacuated and would leave. Having practiced it and tested it several times when I was building it, it was rather impressive to see that much water going out and soaking at the time a rather dry hillside. By the time we were done, we started in January, we finished in June, and we watched the whole spring evolve there into the dry Serengeti tan hills of the foothills of Northern California. And uh, it put out a lot of water. And I was really proud of that. So some type of backup power source for the water supply that you have. Hey, another thought is a big thought, and we're gonna to get to it a little, little more in depth here in just a minute, but plant spacing, plant selection, and plant height considerations. We often see rural living as a blend of the natural surroundings coupled with domestic adaptations and installations, meaning basically, ma nature meets ornamental landscape. Well, this ornamental part of the installation and an aggressive, an aggressive thinning and control of the natural area will drastically reduce fire ignition and more importantly, fire spread possibilities. It really will. Fire can't burn what's not there. Fire doesn't go out of control with something that's really small. And something that is really small won't get up into the canopy of larger trees. Therefore, it's more controllable and more extinguishable. In reducing that natural vegetation height, limbing up trees six feet above the ground or more, using low growing ground covers, big lawn buffers, all contribute to reducing or stopping advancing fire fronts. It really does. You know, one of the things I did research wise on this, and I find it very, very easy to remember, and that's why I wanted to pass it on to you. And it comes from the, the state of California's CAL FIRE, uh, which is basically the old California Department of Forestry, but it's called CAL FIRE now. And it's the zone approach. It's the zone approach is an easy way to landscape your homestead and maintain it too, all the while thinking of fire protection if you're in one of those areas. So let's look at it a second. And I'm gonna do it a little out of order here and you'll see why when I, when I do it. So let's consider zone one. Zone one would be that first 30 feet out from your dwelling and what you can use and how you landscape it and how you maintain it in the mind of if I had a fire, would this first 30 feet do me a lot of justice? Making sure that trees are away from your roof line, things are limbed up, things are maintained, things are moist, etc. And then we look at zone two, and that's the one we've all heard about a little bit. It's the first 100 feet from your dwelling. And this oftentimes goes from your ornamental part out into the natural part. And that's where maintenance, maintenance in the form of lots of dried needles and leaves and stuff are all picked up and disposed of correctly. And so that the, the ground is virtually, virtually bare, except for really low, short type of plant material. And even that can be taken down to nothing during, if you're in a really high threat zone. Then there's zone zero. Zone zero is enacted by the legislature in California not too long ago. And zone zero is the new ember, fire ember defense zone. And that's the first five feet and the dwelling itself. So 
gutters are cleaned and, and maintained correctly. There are no dry grasses and weeds. Decking, attached decking and stuff are created from less combustible sources like the plastic composite type of decking surfaces like treks, etc. All hardscapes around the house are all non-combustible. You don't have wood walkways. You don't have combustible patio furnitures. Lots of gravel and concrete are used and everything that's used green-wise is ornamental and full of water, you know, properly maintained so that those areas right at the home and the home itself is the last hardened line of defense. And not to even mention, you know, what kind of roof you have on your home. Probably metal and tile roofs are best and stay away from the old shake and composition roofs. So landscape approaches using these zones can really elevate your chances of home and property survival. That 100 foot barrier, it sums it up by just reducing all fuels, all combustible fuels in that area. And we already talked about that. You know, if you have a, a clean culture, so to speak, and it's free of all those burnable things that we just discussed, you're gonna be in much, much better shape. So in that zone two, pruning and shaping of taller shrubs, if you choose to keep them, spacing trees by maybe removing some and really spacing them out, and slope, which you'll learn here in a few minutes, is really important when it comes to spacing, farther than normal. So it looks kind of odd out there. It looks kind of naked, but that's okay, because on that eventful day, you are gonna thank the Lord that you put that time and effort in when you're packing up your car and getting your family safe. And you just look back at your home when you're leaving going, I've done everything I can do, it's not up to me anymore. Rather than looking in the mirror going, man, I shoulda, I coulda, you know what I mean? Anyway, in zone one, remember this little ditty right here. Lean, clean, and green. You can't think. Lean in the form of it's not overpopulated with uh, larger shrubs, dense packed foliage stuff. It's spaced out. It's always maintained well. It's green. The plants and shrubs are watered correctly so the, the water content in the bushes and the trees are, are high. Hence the combustibility is lower. So remember that lean, clean, and green. And then zone zero we just covered a little bit. It's basically been summed up as the best line of defense from ember spread. No combustibles, no combustibles. Think mulches in the form of gravel rather than organic mulches that are burnable. The pine straw, the pine mulches, the, the wood chips, etc. You have concrete paths and not uh, mulch paths. All the dried weeds and grasses, you know, it's all common sense stuff. Now thinking about the greenscape, the greenscape of the ornamental side of your zones, the defensible space design will be those of a, of a drought resistant nature. You know, you're, you're not talking cactus necessarily, although some places in Arizona, New Mexico and Texas, you know, that <laughs> those things don't burn very much. But no, we're, we're talking more along the lines of uh, some of the, the low-growing natives, low-growing native ground covers. One that comes to mind is a, a low-growing California lilac called Ceanothus. One that's, uh, another one is Emerald Carpet Manzanita. And these oftentimes don't need any water during the growing season. They do all their growing in the spring and then they kind of go semi-dormant and just exist 
through the summer and fall before supposed winter rains return and, and they soak it all up all over again. Use the hybrid ones, the ornamental ones, the ones that stay low, like, you know, California Creeper or Yankee Point or something like that, or, you know, the emerald carpet manzanita. Uh, there's also rosemary, you know, the creeping rosemary stays under 24 inches. These are great for hillside stabilizations and you can spread those out if you have a steep hillside that you have to cover ornamentally, you can space those out really nice and, you know, they'll stabilize your ground, still look good, uh, be very, very effective as far as erosion control, and they don't burn really fast either. I would say uh, plant material six feet or less is the way I would approach that. I really would. Let's talk about slope a little bit. If you have sloped or steep property, whether that be in the front, the sides, or you're surrounded by steep steepness, your spacing is going to be your biggest defensive posture. We address this when we say spacing when the plant is mature, not when you put it in the ground, not when you plant it. We're talking about when it's going to be full size. Consider these thoughts a little bit. And I pulled these right off of the, the CAL FIRE website. So if you want to double check my work and you want to check it yourself, by all means. Hey, for something that's relatively flat, but uh, you're still in a high threat fire area, consider whatever the plant's uh, mature size is, you're gonna space that two times the distance apart. If you're in a mild to moderate slope, and when I say that, we're talking 20 to 40 degree slopes, four times the spacing. And for steep grades, over 40%, six times the spacing. So what does that mean? Well, if you had a shrub, left unattended, an ornamental shrub, and it is going to get six feet by six feet. That would mean on a, on a flatter area, you're spacing those things 12 feet apart, mature space, and 24 feet apart on a mild to moderate slope, and 36 feet apart on the steeper slopes. Trees are just as important too. You, you wanna apply that same principle to trees. So if you have, maybe you have a, a rural property that has a steep slope and you've got some pine trees on it and you've done a great job of limbing them up. And so little ground fires aren't gonna catch up into the canopy, but you've got them all clustered together in places that uh, have them less than four feet apart. You know, you wanna thin those out a little bit and space it out. It's, it's not gonna be that lush hillside that you probably fell in love with, but uh, you won't care on that day that you've spaced it out and you've done everything you can. Some of the, the chaparral areas of Southern California and the foothills where I was uh, practicing at times, you know, homeowners had to go out there every two years and they cut stuff down. They cut the buckbrush and, and ironwood and other stuff out, but they'd have to go back unless they ripped the roots and everything out. They'd have to go back in a couple years and do it all over again. And that, that was just a way of life for those responsible homeowners. Okay, so, that's a lot of spacing, huh? Let's sum this episode up. First of all, your planning and layout. Before you do anything, if you have decided to live in one of these areas that are possibly prone to wildfires and you've chosen this as your residence, then you need to think it out and you need to either do it yourself or you can bring a professional in to design it out. You can bring professionals in to do the work if you want to, but you can also do a lot of this yourself. So planning and layout is critical. Consider those zones. Consider those zero, one, and two zones at five foot, 30 foot, and 100 foot. 
thinning nature out and thinning her out a lot. Put her on the Jenny Saw diet, period, and thin that stuff out to where it looks kind of naked. Plant selection and spacing. Remember your slope, you've really got to double, triple, and uh, six times the distance if you have slope because that's where fire really rips and spreads fast. The water defense, what do you have in the way of a water defense? That's why I always suggest having uh, remote hose bibs with hoses there at the ready and that your, your hose bib and your standpipe is always of metal, not a PVC. You can have PVC underneath the ground, but do not have it above ground if you have it staged for wildfire fighting. And then what form of backup power? What form of backup power? I'm one of redundancy, the way I travel right now, I'm of redundancy of having power. I have green energy on the roof, I've got propane generator on the back, and I even have a backup gasoline generator. So I always have power if I need it to be, mainly because of diesel, and diesel is for escape, plain and simple. Lastly, that evacuation plan, always consider the what if. You don't have to lie awake at night every night, but if you have a plan in place for evacuation, you've done everything you can do to prepare your property in the, in the event of a disaster, that's all you can really do. Remember the campfire. Remember those poor souls that were lost and the poor souls who survived but were altered for the rest of their life as a result of the campfire in 2018 in California that uh, literally overtook and overran and destroyed an entire town of paradise. There's a situation where nothing was left. No mitigation, no form of backup power, or anything could have ever prevented what happened there. And we are so grateful of the ones that survived and we mourn the ones still who were lost. But we are not invincible, and neither are our, per, you know, our possessions. Our possessions, they're just things. But we can mitigate it as much as possible. We can try to mitigate it. We are, our end goal is to be that, that house that's still standing, that you can go back to and you can walk in and still see your things in place because you did what you were supposed to do. We cannot plan for everything, guys. We just can't. But with some thought, hard work, good, good, disciplined maintenance practices, we can save our homes and some semblance of normal when an absolutely chaotic event comes to bear. And when we've done all that and we've got our plan in place, you may be able to turn to your neighbors and help them who are maybe not as fortunate and maybe not as prepared. Prevent what we can and plan to survive. That's, that's the way you gotta approach this. You know, I write this episode as I sit in yet another drenching summer storm in the Northeast of the United States. If I, if I had the power, if I could only push these frequent two and three times a week storms out west and settle over some of those firestorms that are out there, it would sure make me feel good. Such a saturated part of the country here compared to that arid dry where I grew up. Oh, by the way, those who recreate out west for the foreseeable future, just forget the campfires. <laughs> just forget them. Don't, don't bother with them. Unless it's a survival situation or something, just forget them. And if you do use them and you're in a developed place, my God, drown the crap out of those things, will you? You know, if you look at the percentages of man-made fires again this year, it's like 80%. Ah, those of back east are not escaping my wrath either. 
There's a lot of fires that we have come upon that were just, just left smoldering. People left. So be careful with that stuff. Anyway, I hope this uh, landscape approach to fire prevention can be useful for you. I really appreciated your attention. Please, if you want to have any sort of dialogue outside of this, I strongly suggest to give me an email. We can always talk back and forth. And uh, if you need some help, as always, I'm only an email away. Hey, I'm Matt, and you can call me Coach. Don't forget to check out the website for a couple of products there and the 15-step DIY landscape plan. And I will catch you guys next week. See you next Friday. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Yard Coach Podcast. Don't forget to head over to the website at youryardcoach.com where you will find more DIY landscape education, including the free 15-step DIY landscape checklist, Coach Matt's ebook called Landscaping Simplified, and the flagship digital course, Homescape 1.0. As always, if you have any questions or comments, you can email Coach Matt directly at youryardcoach at gmail.com. We'll see you right here next week.